Hi, and welcome to the Nile Share with Dr. Dave podcast, hosted on grokshare.com and streamed on iTunes and Google Play. You're listening to episode 37, a discussion on the effect of disruption on people, organizations, and communities. Merriam-Webster's definition of disruption is to interrupt the normal course or unity of My friend Keith Montgomery and I sat down for a discussion on the topic of disruption. We share a common passion for this topic as we see change as the only constant. Well, hello, Keith. Keith Montgomery. We're here and we're going to talk about disruption. Disruption, disruption. So, Keith, tell me, um, why disruption? Why do you care about disruption? Why should we care about disruption? Oh. Well, I mean, it's this one of those things I talk about two steps forward, uh, but three steps back happens in people's lives. Disruption is one of those concepts that people don't really take seriously until it happens to them. And when it does, then, of course, it disrupts their life. But how would you actually describe disruption? You know, I'm sure there is oh. an operational definition, yes. right? Like, like everything else. There I mean, are. What, what, how would you describe that? Well, so in change management, you have just change and you have to deal with change and how people respond to change in an organization also individually. The way I see disruption is massive change in a very, very short period of time, sometimes almost instant, or at least it feels instant. And that massive change is a shock to the system. So disruption has a shock uh, component to it in my, uh, in my definition. So we could say Uber provided some level of disruption to our standard yellow cab service. Mm-hmm. Yes, it did. Um, yeah, I, I heard the other day that um, you go down to, to the airport and the taxi cabs are no longer there. And it's kind of interesting because everyone is taking Uber mm-hmm. you know, yeah. to get to their destination. So that's an interesting form of, of disruption. Oh, it's a very interesting form of disruption. I think a lot of companies t- call themselves the Uber of this and the Uber of that. So, yeah, that's a great example when you talk about shocking shocking the cab industry where when you, you what i try to do is i look at and analyze what did it really impact because disruption doesn't shocking something what did you shock and what was the impact well the impact was people were relying on being a yellow cab driver they took a long time to get license and sometimes in london it takes a long time to get your i think it's called a medallion yes in new york uh, very 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 expensive and it's a it's one of those things that you study it's almost like a lifetime achievement uh, for some folks. And so um, when you have GPS now and you have Uber and you have these other things, well, maybe you don't necessarily need to know every map in your head and get a medallion. Maybe you just, it's disruption again. It's just maybe all of a sudden you just need to have a GPS in a car and some form of ability to have some credibility with people so that they know you're not going to rob them and do bad things to them. So, all right. Okay, so that so it's a great example, and there's so many examples, but I would say massive change uh, with impact to people, right, or societies or groups where all of a sudden their life wasn't what it was yesterday or the last week or something in a very short period of time, and there's a lot of uncertainty that comes with that. So you could say even 9-11 provided a form of disruption to our mode of transportation as well. Yeah, if you really think about 9-11, uh, did a lot, especially to the United States, uh, to the scale of people 
you know, of course, disruption is dying, uh, breaking up a divorce. There's all kinds of other types of disruption. Well, a terrorist attack, of course, is that's the, what it's really functioned to be is a disruptive thing. It's not necessarily a war uh, thing where you're going to war with somebody and you're actually trying to take over a country. You're really trying to disrupt people's faith in their system, faith in themselves or each other, those type of things. So um, I think transportation probably was disrupted. I've never really thought about what exactly it was, but if you start watching how 9-11 really did what it did, it, it had a massive effect overnight on uh, Americans. Yeah, well, without a doubt, because, you know, here came the TSA. Mm -hmm. We didn't have a TSA before. Or maybe we did, but we just didn't know about them, right? <laughs> and they become this prominent figure um, at our airports. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a, that's a, it was a huge deal, too. Yeah, a huge deal. So in, in terms of, let's look at disruption from agility uh -huh. yes. in, in that context right. and, and lean thinking. I mean, those are my, two of my favorite topics right Mine now. Too. Too. Um, disruption is also one of them. I think about disrupted disruption um, in, in the context of innovation. Mm -hmm. But let's, let's talk about agility and lean thinking mm -hmm. and how are they playing a role in you know, impacting organizations oh. and people's lives? Yeah, so as you know, agility and lean you get things done faster, but you also have a learning organization. So the organization learns what does and doesn't work. In the old days, you might take years for a product to figure out what did and didn't work, and you might be touching 10% of your audience out there and actually, or your customer. Now, with Lean, you're touching them more often, and you have your, leaning or your uh, learning organization. So all of a sudden, you have an opportunity to have a new product that's hitting 90% of your customer's needs and therefore disrupting the companies that have been touching 10% of your customers' needs. So lean and agility is a, a, a method, or to me it's actually a mindset, a mindset of moving faster and having higher quality. And in the old days, as you know, uh, with project management, was uh, you had things like the triple constraints, which you of course have more, but the triple constraints are you know pick, pick one, maybe two, but never can you get all three. Right. With lean, you can get it better, faster, and cheaper, if it's if it's functioned and, and put into an organization properly so you actually are disrupting the old project management model so there's so many things about lean and agile that i could i could go into but yeah i'm i'm with you so let me walk you through you know a few different concepts um let's talk about value okay. you know as, as one element of, of disruption because i'll walk mm -hmm. you through about five or six different you know buzzwords but value people talk about value all of the time I believe in value-driven mm -hmm. um, outcomes mm -hmm. as, as a practice. Um, yes. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I think it's. I, I think one of the you know there's there's a lot of theories in disruption. Um, there's a great book called Disrupt Yourself by Jay Samet. Mm -hmm. um, he he goes through what's called the value chain. The value chain was really the precursor to people talking about a value stream. But the whole point is, at the end of a value chain or the end of a value stream, you're delivering some form of value. Now. From my point of view, value is a motivating force. It's either going to, well, someone's willing to part with their capital, their money, their brand, their name, their data, so you, like you do with a Facebook. So in some case, you're, you're getting something from an exchange point of view, like an economics uh, definition, but you're motivated enough to be able to give up something for it. Therefore, you can start to say, that has value. And then from that point, you start asking the question, okay, so what is what are the course of events or the projects necessary to be able to deliver that thing of value? And then, of course, we have to validate it with the clients. Do we have, in a business model, do we have a lot of people who would agree on that value? And all of a sudden, you've got a, a business. So 
uh, yeah, value is a is a is a is a very it's a much used buzzword. Um, but I think one of the things uh, that I try to do is just like disruption, give it a real definition, give it something that you can actually apply. So in the context of value, you're saying it's something that's received, but we could use empiricism as one context oh, yeah. uh, of disruption because empiricism gives us the ability to learn based on, you know, validated experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, when you start building the relationship between value and, and, and empiricism or, or empirical outcomes, yeah. you know, let, let's talk about that in, in, in terms of what do we look for? Well, so empiricism to me is instead of guessing, we experience right. what it is we're trying to do, right? So I would d define it as that. So if I'm looking at experience, experience lets me know I can validate that this was indeed valuable to me. So that's how I would answer that. I mean... Empiricism is interesting. Um, societies go and they fluctuate back and forth. Sometimes they're very, very, uh, you know, empirical, like the ancient Greeks. Why they had a very, to me, a very advanced educational system is they really focused on project-based learning, really getting people or the kids up on up to speed on things by experiencing math, by experiencing geometry, by experiencing these things, as opposed to just kind of philosophizing about them only. And then we got into other groups where we got into philosophy, where we started to guess about things, which is important too, by the way. Everything, it's not like it's, it's an imperfect world. Newton, for example, and others invented calculus to be able to theoretically understand how far is the moon away or how long will Halley's Comet come back around again. So these type of uh, guessing, is, it's not like it's not uh, uh, valuable, but it's a lot harder, to your point, to prove value well, yeah, because it's it's a hypothesis. Yes. Right, and that's yeah. what you use in a lot of calculus. Yeah, and things or like sciences. That. Or right. sciences, so you right. You have to have a hypothesis. And yeah. let's try to prove that hypothesis. Um, another concept that we looked at sure. as part of disruption is to eliminate waste. And, and I'm applying oh, lean yeah. principles to disruption, yeah. right, and, and building that marriage. So we think about eliminate waste as a key um, valid marker oh, yeah. in disruption. Um, your thoughts, experiences? Well, now you're talking about disruption almost as a science because if we start to identify those things that are waste, waste of time, waste of effort, waste of pe people's uh, uh, talents, etc., right, all the different waste that exists, now we're starting to identify the things that are not valuable, right? And if we're identifying those things that are not valuable, we're getting straight to the things that are, and it's kind of like distilling to me, if you're thinking about distilling back to this business model where most businesses might be reaching 10% of their audience, you're taking another business model and saying, I'm, I'm reaching 90% of the audience. That other business doesn't stand a chance. So you're going to disrupt them, first of all, but you're also going to disrupt the expectation. Mm -hmm. For example, the consumerization of, of applications when you have them on your apps. And more and more, you go into a big company and you see an ERP system or a large computer system. And it's really hard to learn and it's hard to understand. And people come into the job with a consumerization approach. Like, I just want an app. I want to be able to use it. I, it, I want it to be user-friendly and I want to be able to, uh, it, it, it work for me as opposed for me to work for it. So that was a huge disruption that you're talking about. And to me, that is because you've gotten, you've, you've really addressed wastes. The wastes of, you don't you need all these other uh, factors in that software that you might have. You use these factors, so why don't you focus on these factors, and then you're going to get a high adoption rate. If you get a high adoption rate, 
then you're going to get feedback as well. So it's just a, it's a really great cycle, as you know, the plan, do, inspect, adapt cycle mm -hmm. is is a scientific cycle almost because it allows you to continue to yes. inspect. It's continual learning. Right. Yeah. But and to pivot off of that, you know, eliminate waste. The other context of that is pull. Oh yeah. Pull. Right? Yeah. And you're only building exactly what the customer needs. Right? And and apps are that way. So you're building something that that is adding value immediately. Pull. Let's let's also discuss pull and, and how oh, that yeah. plays a role in disruption. Well, yeah, because as lean, what we're talking about in agile, if we are doing it correctly, we're thinking about prioritization of the most important thing. And so we have a list, we call them backlogs, as you know, or mm -hmm. you can call them different things. But the whole idea is we've got a set of tasks or stories or some requirements that we want to get done. But we also know that we've taken the time to really put some value against it. And now we're basically saying, what can the system, what can we as people get done? So we pull from that backlog into what we're doing. Well, that mentality, that, that might seem like just a, a, a method, but to me, it's a mindset shift, right? The world is pushing me around versus I'm pulling the world and the most valuable parts of the world to get, to get done. So to me, pull and disruption really start to marry up because I'm accomplishing the most valuable stuff now. Certainly. And, and delivering the most valuable. And certainly. And if we take it a step further outside of the organization, mm -hmm. the pull is driven by market demands. Pull is driven yeah. by customer need. Yeah. Customer wants. It's not even a need, right? Yeah. And so it could be a want if you're dealing with an NGO type scenario. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so, sure. you know, pull also has that other effect where the world is saying, I, I need more water, yeah, clean, fresh, clean water. So that becomes a pull on the organization, and then that becomes a focus, and the disruption then can be applied, mm. you know, in that context. Well, how do we give give them more clean water? Well, yeah. filtration systems right. is another way of disruption. Because you know, yeah, so you know, if you break out of the organization, you look at the customer needs mm -hmm. from a pull context. Um, what is what are, what are your thoughts about that? Well. Yeah, to me, again, pull is a whole mindset shift where it, it's like enablement or empowerment. Push is almost the opposite or can lead to the opposite. So when we empower people, and you think about uh, Daniel Pink's presentation of autonomy, mastery, and purpose, it frees those things up. So as soon as you free those things up, you start to free the human spirit to be able to actually create. And I don't mean just create like art. I'm talking about create a water filtration system, for example, that really does what it's supposed to be doing. It's supposed to solve a, a serious problem that people might be having problems. So to me, it, this mindset shift is, is empowering, uh, enabling, and with the right methods that come with it, um, you have all of a sudden your ability to, to execute as opposed to just come up with these creative things. Um, as, as I say a lot, you know, ideas, they're commodities. But execution, that's, that's where it is. Uh, that's where everything and the magic lies in, in my book. Yeah, bringing things to market. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, as we think, Clayton Christensen, mm -hmm. um, he has the context about, he talks about innovation a lot. He, he oh. came up with the whole, I don't know if he came up with, but he kind of brought to light the difference between sustaining and disruptive innovation. Yes. One of the things that he talks about is the job to be done yes. model. And, and as opposed to Brilliant. just straight up voice a customer, the jobs to be done yeah. and, and identifying those flow. 
Yes. No, let's put flow in the context of the jobs to be done and flow and how we allow that to come through because that's all part of disruption too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, flow. So it was funny, I was thinking about that this morning. Um, and it, it's, it's one of those words, again, that everybody talks about in sports and different places like, uh, you, know, um, you know, there's books about flow and, and, uh, and how to get into the flow. But what is it, right? Yeah. So first of all, big fan of, of Clayton's. Yeah, art. He, Love he, stuff. he articulates uh, this job. You know, he gives the example of McDonald's and what a milkshake, for example, the job that it fulfills. Mm -hmm. And, you know, McDonald's was under the impression that it was several jobs. It had, it had several purposes that you could sell a milkshake to about anybody, but they actually zeroed into, it really had two yes. purposes. One was when people had to drive to work, it was something that filled in their stomach enough mm -hmm. and it was something they could put in their hand for about 20 or so minutes. They could do the same thing with banana, but the banana was, it got in the way, it got sticky, so it had all these features that weren't so good. Waste, if yes. you will. So it had that one job, and as well, the other job was a uh, a drink or something to share with your child or somebody that was in your life, where it made you really have about thirty minutes with them because it took some time to to have it. So you had something sweet to share, and so it became more of a communal or a uh, a sharing opportunity. Mm -hmm. So it really had two jobs, and when he zeroed on those two jobs, lo and behold, as you said, a go-to-market strategy could come from it very easily. You start marketing to those folks and you help people understand more and more that this is something that you, they can accomplish really well with those jobs. So flow to me um, allows people, once you start having clarity, you start to have better flow. Yes. Like you were talking about waste and you were talking about other things that breaks in constraints or has friction, right, to flow. Um, but I also believe, and you know, I talk about this a lot, is the individual, uh, it's very important for the individual to understand their flow, not just the business flow and the market flow, but I think people uh, have to understand that with this disruption concept and other things, it's constant and never-ending uh, mental hygiene is what I call it, right? So you floss every day. Why don't you take care of your brain every day? Yeah. Um, and if you are truly uncertain and you truly are getting disrupted in some way, shape, or form because a new technology has come out, and it does almost every day now, right? <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. nobody can keep up with this. It, um, you know, it, it's funny you talk about, or people talk about people in the technology uh, space that know everything, and I, I just laugh. I'm thinking, who? <laughs> <laughs> right? Because that flow state is now, it's almost global the way it has to function. Yeah. And in order for it to flunk function, in my opinion, we really have to deal with our own state of mind and our state of being and understand what is valuable to us, but also understand how we have been disrupted and how to get back to being able to get into a certain level of flow, right? so less friction. And I believe we are our own uh, worst enemies when it comes to this because we don't realize one set of disruption, just like in change management, you need to deal with it. And if you don't, it accumulates. Yep. And this accumulation can cause a team or a community or a world to be very much out of flow. So the idea of Christensen's, uh, he has a lot of uh, theories around education and disruption in education as well. Yeah. And so I, I pull from um, that, that concept of, I really want us to sort ourselves out first. If we want great teams and we really want to have a true amount of flow, but that's a whole other conversation but it flows a you know it's hard to describe 
Well, well, well it it's is. It's like time. It's it's time. It's it's well, things moving in, in a certain at a certain pace, a certain cadence. Cadence. That's yeah. flow. Yep. And and so, you know, it's the ease of how we interact. That's yeah. a flow. Yeah. And and so I mean we could provide certain type of examples of what that is. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, you, you see it happening in the game of basketball, football, any mm -hmm. other game. You mm -hmm. can see the flow happening if, if you're oh, really yeah. tuned in to what's going on oh, yeah. and you know enough. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's, it's really interesting. But also commitment. Mm. I, I look at commitment as another a aspect of disruption because you, you can't, it's hard to achieve disruption without being committed to the work that will create that disruption. Sometimes you don't even know that yeah. you're gonna create a disruption. Yeah. But commitment in terms of an organization, an individual yeah. uh, putting in that effort um, to, to get that. See, I see commitment. Um, I, I had a teacher who said, my life will uh, uh, work insofar as the agreements I keep. Mm -hmm. And commitment comes from making an agreement and following through. For example, you and I were going to do this podcast. Yep. And we agreed that we would show up at a certain time. Yep. Or if we couldn't, we would text each other or whatever. There's a certain level of agreement because the outcome, back to value, the outcome of that, those agreements being kept is trust. Yes. With flow, if you have flow without trust, you have, in my opinion, you could have a whole freaked out person, group, society, or whatever because okay, everything's flowing around you and you don't trust yourself and you don't trust others because you don't keep your agreements. Yeah. So I feel commitment is absolutely, I agree with you, is key and I break it down to keeping small agreements, making your agreements carefully so that you can understand where you can trust yourself and other people can trust you and therefore you can jump into a level of cadence and flow that people can then rely on. Mm -hmm. So next thing you know is we have what you were just alluding to, sustainability. Right. Now, also, as you walk into sustainability, mm. let's talk about inspect and adapt. Oh, boy. Yeah. Right? As we're having this, our conversation is flowing right now through different theories and contexts. Sure. Sure so talking. let's talk about sustainability in terms of inspect and adapt. Because mm -hmm. in order for us to be sustainable, first we have to be aware. Yeah. And then we have to make a decision, a commitment, mm -hmm. and some agreements to ensure that we can get to the valuable yeah. outcome that we're pursuing. So your context, your, your perspective. Let's have a dialogue around that. Fantastic. I mean, well, the great thing about empiricism is we're doing it right now. Yeah. We're doing an inspect, adapt kind of right now looking at, well, what have we just talked about? Yeah. Right? So we've gone in some areas and we've gone in some philosophical areas and we've talked about disruption and other things and we can then inspect it. So I think the great thing about, you know, plan, do, inspect, adapt is it can be applied often, if not always. I, I, I want to be careful with that, but often to any situation that I want to learn from and then I want to continue to get more value from, for example, our conversation right now. Yeah. So how I would apply that is anywhere that I realize that I could do better or I want to do better, I want to inspect it. But this comes back to trust again, though. Do I trust myself enough to ask hard questions or do I want to sweep it under the carpet and say, no, no, this is good enough and I'm okay. And I don't want to look at that part of myself, but I don't want to look at that part of the situation. I just want to move on and finish this thing. Well, in some cases, expediency is, is smart, but most of the time, I want to be better to tomorrow than I was today because I learned something that was actually useful or valuable. So from my point of view, without inspect, I'm just continuing almost like a, a person who's, um, well, you, you meet them all the time, right? Know-it-alls. They, they supposedly know it all and they can just tell you everything. And it's like, 
there's no real inspection or introspection to being open. And so therefore, in my opinion, they may have been really advanced maybe 10 years ago or maybe even up to a year ago, but things change. And so if they're not open to other people's opinions, and so we have retrospectives and yep. things are like that from inspect to inspect, right? So I, I would just answer your question of saying, I just applied it right now, right? Let's inspect it. Let's, let's ask ourselves a question. Was this what we were trying to achieve? What were we trying to achieve? It gives us a, a clarity of our commitment. Well, gosh, we made the wrong commitment. We were thinking the outside world would value this and we were wrong. Now, we've got to have the wherewithal, of course, to say we were wrong. Yeah. That, that's back to the sorting yourself out thing. And then trusting yourself enough to say, it's okay for me to be wrong. It's not just okay. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Right? It's a beautiful thing because now I've inspected and I can adapt to say I was wrong before, but I think I've learned something key. Let me try something new and see if this, and this continues to work. Right? No, you use the word trust. And oh, yeah. I'm going to pick up on that in the in the context of collaboration. Okay. Very interesting. So I was in a, in a uh, at a workshop with some people from Brandman University, and they described trust as ability. Mm -hmm. They use the word benevolence, and I I replaced that with empathy. Okay. And integrity. Ability, and empathy, and integrity. integrity. So uh, ability is the ability where you could get something done. It's outcomes. Right. Outcomes driven. Empathy. We could feelings, what's going on with us, yeah. integrity, it's really just demonstrating that you have a good character, good sense of, of being. So mm -hmm. when we think about collaboration in terms of disruption, mm -hmm. we bring that concept of trust and collaboration together because that's the only way collaboration really works well, right? Is that, you know, and we can look at it as general and focused collaboration, mm -hmm. but let's stay within just collaboration and trust. Mm -hmm. The only way for collaboration to really function is that there is trust. Mm -hmm. We have this trust that you have the ability to get things done. We have the trust that you, we, we could connect and get mm -hmm. things done. Mm -hmm. And also you have the integrity of really meeting your commitments mm -hmm. of the work that we're going to get done. So your thoughts in terms of that um, this right. dialoguing around collaboration, because people like to do this general collaboration. We throw the word around. Let's collaborate. Oh, gosh, yeah. It just drives me it's crazy. collaborative software. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah, what are you talking about? Software does all the work for you. Yeah. Um, First of all, thank you. I, I just learned, I, I agree. Um, I, I define integrity, for example, I do what I say. Yeah. Um, and so no one's going to be perfect in integrity. No. But, but the opportunity to inspect it and say, hey, I didn't do what I said, and here's my makeup that allows me to get back in integrity with you. So integrity is something you can fall out of, but you can get back into, in my yeah. opinion. That, for a team, that can be a crux to collaboration because you're constantly falling in and out of integrity. Everybody's busy. Everybody's being pulled. In if you're in a company, of course, you're going to be pulled in different directions. You can be, right? Um, so with a shared outcome and a shared understanding of outcome, I like that, the whole empathy thing. I, I agree that there's a point where we really can't share an understanding of outcome unless we feel it together. Yeah. So I like that too. What are my thoughts about it? I mean, I think it's great. <laughs> I think, you know, you just taught me something. Um, yeah, it was just interesting that it's, it's one of the things that I've, I've, I've held on to lately as I've started to think about trust. Oh, yeah. And it's more, it's more than just a, a, an emotional connection. 
it's all of these things about, yeah, I know Keith could, will get this done because mm -hmm. he has integrity. I know he has the ability. Mm -hmm. And I know he's empathetic because mm -hmm. he could really connect with the reason why I want this outcome. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so how do we apply all of this disruption to education? Oh, oh, that oh. is, I am just, I'm walking you through this conversation, oh. I, ain't I? <laughs> oh, you, I'll tell you, um, that's a passionate subject, as you know. Um, yeah. And probably longer, maybe another uh, real, we go in deep, but how can we apply it? Um, first of all, you were just doing it before is the definitions. I would like to redefine education. Yeah. It just doesn't happen in a schoolhouse. No. Um, it just doesn't happen in a university. Nope. I want to ask what it is. And, and Clayton Christensen does this as well. It's like, what is this thing that we call education? It's yeah. Like, you just educated me right now on your ability, right? Your empathy and your integrity, right? Your, your model. Because to me, um, education is great but it's great to be able to share it and apply it right yeah. away. That's at least been my nature throughout my life. So how do we apply uh, this to education? Um, I think I, I focus a lot on principles and understanding, like, for example, the agile principles mm -hmm. or lean principles. I mean, there's so many principles people talk about. There's 12 agile principles. Yes, but there's actually, there's more than a thousand, right? There's so of many course. principles out there, right? Yeah. So, Focusing on the principles that work best for that group of community, and so we're talking about the education community, really getting a set of principles that have great outcomes consistently, and really well thought through. And then from there, um, maybe it's through a book. Yeah. Maybe it's through a conversation like this. Maybe it's through lean business canvas, like you're doing with the Five Saturdays program. Yeah. Right? Maybe it's, it's actually having them create their own little business and having to learn all the interdisciplinary subjects necessary to make their business a success, right? You know, from learning Excel to finance to marketing to these things, that's not a that's not a schoolhouse, right? No, no, not so, at all. So, how you apply it with education? I think, like I said, align to principles, and then start to see back to that autonomy, that mastery, and that purpose come alive in kids, because uh, we're all kids, yeah, right? No matter how old we are. So even, but the younger kids, reaching them early is one of my biggest passions. Because, you know, when we think about the old way of doing project management, coming back to Agile, um, there are things that go along with the old way of project management that cause people to get education in areas that, to me, are gonna become obsolete, right? Um, but with Agile, you start to really get to the place where you're inspecting and adapting, and you're trying to be better and better. Well, if I reach a kid early, so they're honest with themselves, so they are trying to focus on getting something of value done, and they are trying to think about what is valuable from the get-go, as opposed to they're trying to guess at requirements. They're trying to go all the way through a whole education system, and by the time they get to 12th grade, they ask themselves the question, what am I doing? Right? Yep. So if I get them as early, early as possible, where they're already asking that question, I think that's how you sort it out, because I don't think revolutions work. I think evolution works. Yeah. And letting kids sort it out, they're able to sort out their own education. And then parents, I think, will follow suit because when they see results, parents understand, right? That's what they want. But, but I think more important that what we miss the mark in, in terms of this value-driven outcome, mm. that we're not having that conversation mm -hmm. in terms of disruption in mm. education. Because if we are real and really honest with our children mm -hmm. and with ourselves, 
the purpose we're sending them to school is so that they could sustain themselves. Yes. We're not sending them to school just to learn, you know, new fancy words or, or how to do some <laughs> algorithm or, or, mm -hmm. or solve some mathematical problem. Right. We're, we're trying to equip them with life skills so they could sustain themselves. Kind of like when you look at your, your dogs that, and their puppies, mm -hmm. the things that they do with their young ones is like, let me show you how to survive. Yeah. And that's one of the purpose of schools. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it's providing some of those basic life skills mm -hmm. so that those individuals, those young men and women could survive. I yeah. mean, that's sustaining, that's disruptive. Yes. Right. But the institution is set up in such a way where it does provide a lot of that, but it also provides just like the way an old business did. Yeah. Right? So you know how school systems have the bell and it's kind of around the factory mentality. Yep. You know, you punch your, your clock and you're on time and you get all these, um, you know, you get all these points or whatever, stars for doing things that you would, like in a factory, you're on time yeah. and you don't miss work, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and you get your homework in on time and all this stuff. And those, you know, discipline's important. Yes. But the point was, and this is what I always asked as a child, and I'm sure you did too, knowing you, is what am I going to use this for? Yeah. What is this, what is this <laughs> valuable for? And when you can't get an answer, um, that's, where, that's where it's a great opportunity yeah. to add the inspection hey, I know the government has put this core curriculum and there's a lot of good things about the common, common core, core, right? Yeah. There's a lot of good things. Um, but there's also this point where when people start saying to you, I'm not seeing the usefulness of this. I'm not seeing where, I'm seeing this confuse me. And yeah. if you don't have a system that says, okay, tell me about that confusion, right? This is the inspect right. and adapt opportunity. Then you miss the whole inspect adapt opportunity, and like I said, you stay stuck. And, and but even more important, not just being stuck. The thing is, can we take Common Core mm -hmm. and interweave that into project-based or what I would call agile-based learning? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Where you need to learn how to read, you need to learn how to reason, oh, you need yeah. to learn his history, and then now you could start seeing the application of mm -hmm. you know of these Common Core mm -hmm. courses into producing a, a value-driven outcome. Yeah, you know, and, and I, I won't profess to be an expert of Common Core, but my experience of it and understanding of it is, you know, it does have a very, it, its intentions are very, very good. It's mm -hmm. getting away from, you know, a right or wrong answer. Right. And which leaves a person in that uncertainty unknown to have to continue to do their own research and to do their own um, searching. I think that's, there's a positivity to that, but I also think that what you're saying is um, uh, is true. It, 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 it's a it's a hard, I think, subject for people to to take because you're right. You have to learn how to read, but I'd like to turn around a system from mindset perspective, saying I want to learn how to read because I want to accomplish some goals. Back to your project-based yeah. learning, I want people to lean in and want it. And from my perspective, education was, uh, you know, foist it upon you, force it upon you. Oh, yeah. Just like the old project management. By the way, Agile does this, too. People come in and they force Agile on, on organizations. And as soon as you do, you, you lose some of that magic of Agile. You might have the software and you might have the, the uh, methods. But if you don't have people really saying, yeah, I want, I'm in, I'm in, I'm ready, then you lose a lot of the magic of that energy and the creativity that happens. And I think with schools... The way it was for me and I, the way I've seen it for others is it's a drudgery. Yeah. And education is one of the, it's like the light turning on for humankind. Mm. So this is why you know why I'm so passionate about it. Because when the light started turning on for me, I just want to share that light. Yeah. 
right? And, and so what you're saying is correct. I want them to want to learn to read. I want them to want to, um, you know, learn math, but learn math to apply it to something, to solve a problem. Water, water filtration, for example. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, it's a, it's, right? it's a great subject. Why not? But if we want to summarize our conversation okay. uh, in, in terms of uh, disruption, and we, we talked about a lot of things. We did. Yeah. Why don't you summarize disruption you know, from your perspective and from the conversation we've yeah. had thus far? Well, it's a massive amount of change in a very short period of time. Uh, it's neither good nor bad, right? It can be like death. It can completely take you out of the game, right? Um, not you being dead, but someone else close to you being dead. I mean, it could take you out of the game or it could free you from something that you didn't want in the first place. For example, we're talking about the way the educational system is. Yeah. Right. So the, 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 uh, the, the trap that we get caught in is saying, okay, now it's great to be a disruptive company or it's great, you know, this, it's really understanding. And, and to me, it's, it's a massive amount of power that's happening that, that has to be respected. And so it can be used for good, yep. it can be used for bad. And it's very important to be able back to flow, to be able to sort yourself out so that you aren't taken out of the game and you're able to, to work with disruption no matter what it is. So you understand there are processes around working with disruption. So most excellent. One thing that I want our audience to do is I always want them to reach out to you. Sure. And sure. connect with you. Um, Twitter. Yeah. Facebook, yeah, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yeah. Why don't you just uh, kind of share um, that information with our audience so that they could just connect with you and, and say, hey, Keith, I like your disruption or I have a question or I disagree. Yeah. yeah. Uh, why don't you share with our audience um, that information? Well, the best way to reach me is um, the, the employer is CyberOI, CyberOI.com, right? Organizational Intelligence is what mm -hmm. that stands for. And then LinkedIn and Keith Montgomery, pretty, and if you find CyberOI and Keith Montgomery, you can pretty much easily find me. Okay, so that's the best way for them yeah, to that, connect with you. Yeah, that's really the best way. Yeah. Because um, I, you know, the good news is, like you, I live what I love to do, and, yep. and, and these philosophies aren't just philosophies, I apply them. So, you know, uh, my work is similar to my philanthropy or whatever yeah, you call it, you know, pretty my, much, my giving yeah. back. Yeah. 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 I mean, Appreciate great that. being passionate. I mean, I really enjoy having this passionate conversation, mm. you know, hopefully, hopefully we'll enlighten a few people in, in terms of thinking about disruption in their own lives and how they could apply those things and look at um, new techniques to be, to find their value driven outcome. This is what I like to couch it as. Me too. And I hope that people can come to us and help us understand that we might have to inspect some of our ideas and adapt as well. So yeah. I'm open to always learning more myself, but yeah, if we can help people and they can Collaborate, us. right? This, <laughs> yeah. is this is really what collaboration is to me. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This has been an excellent dialogue. Yeah, David has. Yeah. yeah. All right. We'll talk soon. All right. Look for the Null Share with Dr. Dave podcast on iTunes and Google Play. The Null Share with Dr. Dave podcast is hosted on grokshare.com. If you have any questions for Dr. Dave, reach out on Twitter at Dr. Dave Info or at Nal Share. This podcast and interview produced by Dr. Dave Cornelius. Copyright 2017 Nal Share. Nal Share with Dr. Dave. Nal Share.